If you like Disney World, you will fit right in with this church. So many Disney World fans. I'm going to be reading um, two verses. Our lesson today is very short as we enter into a new series. But as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So reading from Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as I said, today we begin a new series, and we're beginning it in much the same way that we began our question series at the beginning. We read from Genesis 1 that... The Old Testament begins at the beginning. Not of Israel, but of the cosmos. Genesis moves from the morning of the universe to the ordering of families and nations to the birthing of the fathers and mothers of Israel. And God was there in the beginning. That was one of your questions. Where, how did God come into being? And as Bert Felder reminded us, we don't know. God was there when I came. The first two verses of Genesis, well, they give us a very universal picture, a universal frame of reference. As one theologian said, we as the reader are invited to view the screen that is cosmic in scope, to engage in the act of imagination that carries us far beyond our little corner of the world. And what's interesting about this cosmic picture, and maybe you've never thought about this before, but the author assumes that God does not have to be introduced. God is assumed to be known. And as we read on in that first chapter of Genesis, we are introduced to a world that is filled with all things bright and beautiful. This cosmic picture, this beginning of our faith story, well, it does tell us something about God and about us. With the beginning, we learn that God was at work in the world and in the lives of all creatures on behalf of God's creational purposes long before Israel existed. Long before humanity articulated what creation was all about. This cosmic picture really does take us outside of our own little corner of the world. The story's bigger than me. The story is bigger than my family. The story's bigger than my city, bigger than my country. This story is bigger than humanity. The earth was a formless void raw material that God uses to create, the stuff 
that God uses to bring about a new order, to do a new thing. As we said on that first Sunday in our question series, dust we are, to dust we will return. But God can do great things with dust. In the beginning, God is present and active. In the beginning, a wind from God, the Spirit of God, swept over the face of the waters. Today we begin a new series, Come to the Water. And do you know that our faith story can be told through water? We pretty much do it every time someone comes forward for baptism, and we use that liturgy, the thanksgiving over the water. And it all starts right here in Genesis 1, the beginning, with God hovering over the waters. Now, I've always loved the ocean. One reason is probably because when you grow up as a central or south Mississippi person, um, the beach, right, is one of the favored destination vacation points. You go at some point. But I've also always loved the mystery of the ocean. Standing at the edge of the sand, the waves rolling in, looking out over what seems to never end, imagining what is out there under that blanket of dark blue. Now, many of you have heard me joke numerous times that when I went to college, I had a plan. I was a plan with two options. I was either going to be a doctor or work at SeaWorld. Clearly, neither of those panned out. Um, I guess I have the Holy Spirit to thank for that as well. And when I say I loved the ocean, I'm not saying this lightly. Um, I did not bring a box, but I did bring some things. Um, I had a whole lot more of this before, but just to show you how much I loved the ocean. Um, first, I have some books. My parents, early on one Christmas, got me a Wells and Dolphins book. Oh, I forgot. This is Mia Hamm's autograph is in here. Great place to put it, right? Let's see. 1994 was my first, my first book. Um, and then I got another one from another friend later on in high school. This is the ones you're going to make fun of me of. Um, so these are all the calendars I had in, like, elementary school, junior high, and high school. Because the pictures were so pretty. I couldn't throw them away. Yes, they've moved to every house with me. And this is my favorite part. It is like my diary on every day of the week. Apparently, I got my braces off on April 7th. Um, so there's all this. They decorated my dorm room in college. And then my last one, and this has a funny story with it. When I had my first child, I wanted the nursery to be all ocean-themed, mainly because I had all these pictures I could put up. And I did. But I found this and took it to my grandmother and told her I wanted a baby quilt made out of it. Now, if you know my, well, you don't, if you had known my grandmother, this will tell you a little bit about why I am the way I am. <laughs> Somebody's laughing. <laughs> Very um, headstrong, stubborn woman. And when she looked at this, she thought it was the most hideous thing she'd ever seen and was like, why would you make a baby blanket out of that? So I didn't think I would get it, but I did get it, but I got this and another baby blanket that I was told, this is what a baby blanket's supposed to look like. <laughs> um, 
I didn't bring that one, though. I liked this one. I also um, watch Shark Week every summer, religiously. I don't anymore, but I did. I just loved the mystery of the ocean. You know, according to the World Atlas, only about 5% of the world's oceans have been explored. That leaves 95% of the ocean as mystery. And part of what makes mystery mystery is that it is both exciting and dangerous, right? You can see why those first ocean travelers would talk about the great sea monsters living out in the dangerous waters. I mean, if you didn't know about whales and you saw a whale, right? Even in the book of Job, we find, can you draw out the Leviathan with a fish hook or press down its tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Can you fill its skins with harpoons or its head with spears? Lay hands on it. Think of the battle, it says. You will not do it again. And let's be honest. How many of you can be swimming in the deep end of a pool, but if somehow in your head you hear that, you're going to come straight up. I think this is the feeling, maybe not so much the fear, but I think this is the feeling we're supposed to hold when we read those first two verses of our story of faith. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Put yourself there. Standing at the edge, looking out over this unexplored blanket of deep blue that seems to never end. It's mysterious. It's exciting. And it also feels a little dangerous. Could it be that we are to hold this feeling all throughout the pages of our faith story that follow? and into our own walk of faith? Could it be that when we come across water in Scripture, we're supposed to go back there to that beginning, to that place of mystery and awe? Could it be that when we encounter water in our days, which is quite often, we're supposed to remember, remember that feeling of awe, of wonder, of curiosity, of excitement, maybe even a little danger, all connected to this creator God hovering, moving, sweeping in gracious care over the face of the waters. You know, it's said that for the most part, we can't survive more than three days without water. Water makes up 71% of the Earth's surface, 96% of that is in the oceans and seas, while glaciers, rivers, and lakes make up the rest. Our bodies, well, they're supposed to contain about a 50% um, percentage of water to avoid dehydration. Water is everywhere. So could it be 
that when we hear of people lacking access to clean and safe drinking water or access to water at all, when we hear of droughts or glaciers melting or rivers or lakes drying up, could it be that we're supposed to go back to those opening verses and ask, what have we done? What are we doing that this first image we're given of the created order, this image of water, is threatened? I know. I know I may be pushing this image a little far, taking this feeling a little too far, but I kept placing myself this week back with that curious, excited child standing at the edge, looking out over the water and asking, what does this feeling have to say within my story of faith? And I had a little fun with this. I'm thinking of water in Scripture. Here's a few. I did have some help with this. God hovering over the water, which we already read, bringing creation out of the deep. Water was life-giving in Genesis. Then water was life-taking with the flood. But then a rainbow, which we wouldn't have without rain. It was water that carried Moses to safety. The waters were parted to allow Moses to lead the Hebrew people to freedom. And then water swarmed the pursuers who would stop them. Naaman, the great army commander, he was healed by washing in the waters of the Jordan. God's people wept tears by waters in exile. God leads us beside still waters. Jesus is nurtured in the water of a womb. The Messiah is baptized in water. Jesus, is, Jesus turns water into wine, his first sign act in John. Jesus is living water. While on the cross, Jesus' side is pierced and blood and water run out. Jesus met women at wells and blind men by pools. Jesus called his disciples who made their living from the sea. And the last words Jesus gives to his followers is to go forth and baptize in water. This month we will move through the series Come to the Water. And we'll look at just a fraction, a small portion of the stories in Scripture that include water. And today what I can say is this. Our call into discipleship, our clumsy steps at this lifelong journey of learning and following, it begins with water and baptism because I think we're supposed to come to this fount as one standing at the edge of the ocean, looking out over this never-ending blanket of blue full of mystery and discovery. Discipleship is mystery. Do we ever really know what we are saying yes to when we say yes to Jesus? Remember, I was going to be a doctor. I work at SeaWorld. Discipleship is exciting. We are called into the great work of bringing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, the work of redemption and reconciliation, of healing that which is broken here and now. But discipleship is also dangerous and scary. Following the way of Jesus is costly. As disciples of Jesus Christ, 
may we come to the waters. Amen.